have questions. Questions like, why is it called a building if it's already built? Why is there no egg in eggplant? And do penguins have knees? But some questions are more important than others. We gave a survey to find your most asked questions. Every week, we're gonna answer your most asked questions and discover God's best plan. Because you asked for it. Let me encourage you this morning to go ahead and buckle your seatbelt because we're going to deal with another difficult issue this morning. And if you don't stick with me, if you don't stay until the end, if you don't listen closely, what's going to end up happening is you're going to disengage and you're going to miss out on what God has to say to you. So stick with me, stay with me, don't disengage Listen, because we're going to let God's Word speak to us. Now, last week, we answered the question about homosexuality. Is it possible to live a homosexual life and be a Christian? Not is it possible to struggle with homosexual tendencies or have homosexual preferences, but is it possible to live that lifestyle and be a Christian? And we discovered that the biblical answer is no. But the truth is, we can't continue to live in any sin and be a Christian. You see, Jesus came to this earth to die so that we could be saved from the power of death and sin. And when we give our life to Jesus, we are saying that we no longer want to be controlled by sin. And so whatever our sins may be, when we continue in those sins, we are saying, Jesus, I don't want you to control my life. I want to live life my way, not your way. But the truth of the matter is, homosexuality affects some of us. But the issue that we're going to talk about today, it, it truthfully affects most of us. And so I'm going to begin by asking a question and I'm not asking this question to point you out or to embarrass you. I'm asking you this question because I want you to see how many of us are affected by this issue. And so when I ask the question, at the end I want you to raise your hand if the answer to this question is, is yes, you've been affected. And so here's the question. If you, your spouse, your parents, your children... Your grandchildren or a sibling has been divorced, raise your hand. Now look around. I want you to look around for just a minute because I want you to see that this is an issue that affects many of us. You can put your hand down. It affects most of us. And the truth is, if it's not something that you have gone through or a family member has gone through, it's probably something that a close friend of yours has gone through. That's why this is an emotional issue. Whenever we talk about it, our, our emotions get riled up. When I said that word divorce, I know that some of you got a little uneasy. You got to the edge of your seat. Your blood pressure went up. Your pulse started to increase. I know mine did because I'm having to deal with this issue. And I know that it probably happened for you as well. And the reason, like I said, is because this is an issue that affects all of us. Now, when I think about divorce, I think about some of the most godly people I know. One particular couple that I think about are Fred and Nita Fox. 
Fred and Nita, when, when they were a part of my life, were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. That's a milestone, isn't it? 50 years together. But this wasn't Fred's first marriage. You see, Fred had been married as a young man. He had married his high school sweetheart, his childhood sweetheart. They grew up in church together. They got married. They had a daughter. And after a couple of years, Fred's first wife decided, I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to be a mama. And so she left Fred. She left their daughter. She abandoned them and moved away. Fred prayed for her. Fred continued to wait on her, but she left, and she was nowhere to be found. After several years, Fred met Nita. They fell in love. They eventually got married, and they have been married for over 50 years. At Northside, we have many people who are, who are leaders in our church who serve in various positions who have been through the pain and the hurt of divorce. I know people who love God passionately, people who are pursuing Him with all their heart, who have been through divorce. Now, you would think, with all the research we have, all the counselors that are available, all of the help that is available to us today, that the divorce rate would be falling. But the truth of the matter is it's not. At best, it's stagnant. Some people are saying that the divorce rate is continuing to rise. Almost 50 years ago, in 1970, there was a book written called Future Shock. And in that book, the, the book made a number of predictions. And one of the predictions that, that the book Future Shock made had to do with divorce. And this is what the author of the book said. I want you to listen. He said, instead of waiting until death do us part, couples will enter matrimony knowing from the start that the relationship is short-lived. Now let me say that again. Here he was in 1970 making a prediction, this is where we are moving. Couples will get married knowing they're not getting married for the long haul. This is a short commitment at best. And then he said this. He said, when the opportunity presents itself, they will marry again and again and again. And what he wrote has come true. Back about 15 years ago, I got up on a Sunday morning. I was preparing for my message on Sunday morning. I was reading through the Orlando Sentinel. And, and as I was reading, I, I came across the front page of the living section of the Orlando Sentinel and the cover article in the living section of the Orlando Sentinel was starting marriage. Starter marriage. And the article was all about how, how people enter into marriage as a starter marriage. Kind of like we buy a starter house, a starter home. You know, when you, when you get married and you're young and you don't have any money but you want to buy a house... You buy a house knowing that this probably isn't going to be your last house. This is a starter house. And the article said that's how people are entering marriage today. They're entering marriage knowing that this isn't going to be their last marriage. It's their first marriage, their starter marriage. And that's sad. Because that article 
it's come true. A recent statistic that I read at a family law site said that 42% of all first-time marriages end in divorce. 42%. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 72% of third marriages end in divorce. 42, 60, 72. George Barna, who was one of the most prolific pollsters of our day, said his figures aren't that high. His figures showed that 33% of all marriages end in divorce. 33%. But listen to me. Regardless of whether the figure is 33, 42, 60, or higher, that's a lot. 33% means that one out of three of us in this room will experience the hurt and the pain of divorce. One out of three. But let me just say to you, that's not what was startling to me. What was startling to me is that Barna went on to say that two-thirds of all Christians see divorce as a reasonable solution to a problem marriage. Two-thirds. Two-thirds of those who say they follow Jesus, they believe the Bible, two-thirds say that divorce is a reasonable solution to a problem marriage. But is that what divorce is? Is divorce a solution to a problem? Is, a divorce, is divorce a way to move out and move on? Or is divorce something more? Now, we received multiple questions about divorce. Someone said, when... Is divorce acceptable? Another person asked, what if I remarry after I divorce? What, what about that? One person said, what if a Christian is married to a non-Christian? Is it okay to divorce then? Another person said, what about abuse? If I'm abused, can I divorce? Now, if you listen to the world, you're going to get a lot of different answers. But most of those answers, listen, most of those answers are going to have to do with your happiness. People are going to say, you deserve to be happy. And if the person you're married to is not making you happy, then you need to leave them. Now, can I say before we go any further, that's putting a lot of pressure on the person you're married to. You're saying the person that you marry to is responsible for your happiness. That's a tough thing to be responsible for. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Maybe, just maybe, the ultimate thing in our life is not to be happy. Maybe our ultimate aim, maybe our ultimate goal is something more than being happy. And so this morning, we're not going to look and see what Dr. Phil or Oprah has to say. We're not going to look and ask what some marriage counselor who has been married four times has to say. We're going to go to God's Word and we're going to see what Jesus has to say about this marriage and divorce issue. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. And in Matthew chapter 19, let me just give you a little backstory. The Bible says that these these men came up to Jesus to ask him a question. Now, they weren't really so much concerned about the answer to the question as they were with trapping Jesus. 
You see, they wanted Jesus to say something that they could use to condemn him, to prove that he was not a true teacher of the law. And so they came to Jesus and they asked him this question. And in verse 3, this is what it says. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? So here are the Pharisees. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? And, And isn't that the kind of question that we ask today? When can I divorce? When is it acceptable for me the divorce. Let me tell you, as a pastor who's been doing this for over 35 years, I've had a number of people come into my office and ask the question, can I divorce my husband? Can I divorce my wife? Because they did. And then you fill out the blank, fill in the blank, and, and it, because it covers about anything and everything. And the question is, when is it acceptable to get a divorce. Now, as Jesus answers this question, as God answers this question, he shares with us some pro- profound truths. But here's what I want you to know. The answer that Jesus gave was so shocking. The answer that Jesus gave was so crazy that the church for the next 200 years took what Jesus said here literally And it literally changed the world. People in droves began to follow Jesus because they were observing the marriages of those who followed Jesus. You see, his disciples took literally what he said, they put it into practice, and when the world looked at their marriages, they realized these people mean it. When they make a commitment. They are committed to one another. They really are married until death. And people would look at them and say, I want that kind of relationship. I want that kind of marriage. And the church took off. Now into about 300 years, Christianity became the popular thing. Christianity was accepted as the religion of Rome. And when it was accepted as the religion of Rome, you know what happened? People began to look for loopholes. That's what we do, don't we? You see, when we read something we don't like, we look for a loophole. We look for a way out. And so they started looking for a way out. Certainly, Jesus didn't really mean what he said. He had to mean something else. So what did he really mean? But I want you to hear me this morning. Jesus meant what he said. And so what did Jesus say about marriage and divorce? Three things I want to give you. First of all, Jesus gave us God's plan for marriage. You see, before I can ever really consider what God's word has to say about divorce, I have to understand what God's word has to say about marriage. So Jesus goes all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the first man and the first woman, and he tells us about the first marriage. And listen to what he says in verse 4. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female, and he said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Jesus said that from the moment God made man and woman, he made it clear 
that their relationship was to be permanent. Jesus said, when a man gets married, he leaves his mother and father's house, and he starts his own house. He starts his own household. Now, young people, word of advice. You don't get married until you're ready to get married. You don't get married and say, hey, dad, mom, can we live in the basement? No! If you got to live in the basement, you're not ready to get married. A man is to leave his mother and father. A man is to start his own household. But then it says, and the two are joined together. Now that word joined, in the Greek, it means glued together. It means welded together. God is saying this. God is saying that his intent for man and woman from the very beginning is that two lives are glued together. They're welded together into one. That's why our wedding vows um, speak so strongly about commitment. You know what our traditional wedding vows say. They say that we are together for better or for what? Worse. We are together for richer or for what? Poor, we are together in what? Sickness and in health. For better or for worse. Richer or for poorer. Sickness and in health. Till death do we part. You see, that's what God said from the beginning. Jesus was only reaffirming God's plan from the beginning. The apostle Paul, he taught this truth to the church. And the early church put it into practice. That's why when Sherry and I got married, one of the very first things I did is went to our dictionary. I know you don't have dictionaries anymore. You go to dictionary.com. But we had a dictionary. And I went to my dictionary. I opened it up to the word divorce. I took a black marker and I literally marked that word out. And then I looked her in the eyes and I said, I want you to know that divorce is not a word for me. No matter what you do, no matter how much you hurt me, I will never leave you. You can leave me. I can't stop you from doing that, thank you. <laughs> but I will never leave you. I took that word out of my vocabulary because I knew that if I didn't go in with that kind of commitment, then anything is an option. That's why when I do premarital counseling, one of the very first sessions we have, we talk about this. And I ask couples, I say, okay, I want you to think in your mind all of the reasons that you will possibly in the future divorce this person that's sitting in front of you. Think of any reason possible that you would divorce this person. And then I say, okay, did you come up with anything? And if they say yes, then I look them in the eyes and I say, you need to rethink this marriage. Because you need to understand that what you thought is a possibility. Now you say, Rocky, that's harsh. No, that's not harsh. That's realistic. You see, life happens. People hurt us. Problems come up. And we need to know in the midst of it all, God has glued us Together, God has welded us together. But that's not all Jesus said about God's plan. Jesus said the two 
are no longer two. The two are now one. And then Jesus says what man has made one or God has made one, no man can split up and make two. Last week I shared with you how God takes the one and he makes two and, and then he takes the two and, and we again become one. And that's what marriage is all about. You see, when you marry someone, you are no longer two independent people. You are interdependent upon one another. You are knitted together in the deepest way possible. You see, marriage is the blending of two lives. And we're not just talking about sex. We're talking about God takes our lives, our unique personalities, our unique abilities, our unique experiences. Experiences, and he weaves these two lives into one. Listen, marriage is not just a sexual union. Marriage is not just an emotional union. When you marry someone, you are united to them. You are joined to them at the deepest level possible. You are joined to them in their soul. You are joined to them in their spirit. And that's why God says what I have joined together, no one can tear apart. Jesus said, you're asking under what circumstances you can get a divorce. And I'm telling you that what God has joined together, no one can ever undo. What God has done the Bible says no one can undo. You see, God is the one who put the first man and woman together. He did. And he is the one who has been putting every man and every woman together. It may be a pastor. It may be a, a judge. It may be a notary that performs the ceremony. But it's God that joins the two together. So, so we sit back and we ask questions about is divorce permissible in this circumstance when what Jesus says is, is divorce even possible? I, I mean, can you take one and tear it in two without serious repercussions? And I'm here to tell you that you can't. What God joins together, no one can tear apart. We talk about amicable separations, amicable divorces. There's no such thing. Because when we divorce, there is never a clean break. Because God has taken part of you and given it to your spouse. And God has taken part of your spouse and given it to you. And you will always have that with you. Have you ever wondered why there's so much frustration and heartache and turmoil after the divorce? This is why. This is why. Because no matter what the judges say, no matter what the lawyers say, we can't take one, and make it into two. We can't undo what God has done. And so the Pharisees come back to Jesus and they ask another question. And in that question, Jesus gives them the problem that causes divorce. God's plan, God's plan is permanence. God's plan is to take two people and mesh them into one. 
body, mind, spirit, soul. They become one. Kind of like there are three in one in the Godhead. God takes two and he makes them one. So what is the problem that causes divorce? Well, listen to what it says beginning in verse 7. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted a divorce only as a concession to your hard heart. Let that sink in. Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but, but it was not what God had originally intended. Now, the Pharisees were going back to Deuteronomy 24, where Deuteronomy 24 says that if a man wants to divorce his wife, he can give her a certificate of divorce if she has been indecent. The word indecent there in the Hebrew literally means that she has been sexually immoral. She has been sexually impure. And so Jesus is saying, God allowed Moses... To make this concession, this provision in the law because of sexual immorality. But this was never the way God intended it from the beginning. But what you need to understand is they took what God said in Deuteronomy 24. This concession that God gave them because of the hardness of their hearts. And they had turned it into a law where men could divorce their wives for any and every reason. You do anything that makes me unhappy, you do anything that upsets me, you do anything that doesn't meet my expectations, here, you're gone. Certificate of divorce. And Jesus said that's not the way that God intended it. And he says that divorce is because of your hard hearts. Now that word hard hearts is literally one Greek word, sclerocardia. You know the word sclerosis, hardening? Sclerocardia means hardening of the heart. God says that the reason that he allowed divorce at all is because your hearts were hard. In other words, you've sinned. Your heart has become hardened toward me and and the things that I want, the things that I love, the things that I want you to do. Listen to me. Hear me. Wherever there is a divorce, sin is in the background. Hear me. Stick with me. Wherever there is divorce, sin is in the background. It may be the sin of the wife, it may be the sin of the husband, it may be the sin of both. But whenever there is divorce, it is because of hardened hearts, sin. And that's why it says in Malachi 2, I hate divorce. That's what God says. So that takes us to the third truth, and that is the price that we pay for divorce. Jesus goes on, and what he says is, Next is big. And to be honest with you, I don't think most of us have ever really taken the time to listen to what Jesus said. So I want you to listen. Jesus said, and I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery. Stop. Wait there for just a minute. Whoever divorces their spouse and marries someone else commits adultery. Then Jesus said, unless his wife has been unfaithful. 
He gives that stipulation. This verse right here gives us the only biblical reason that we as believers can ever initiate divorce. And even then, listen to me, it's not God's perfect plan. It's not God's perfect will. God allows it because our hearts become hard. It's never God's plan. It's never God's will. But in the case of sexual immorality, God says, I will give you a concession here. And Jesus says that if you divorce your spouse for any reason other than sexual immorality and you remarry, you have committed adultery. Now, I know that sounds harsh. And I know that there are a lot of ideas and a lot of interpretations in regard to this. But let me be clear, Jesus is crystal clear. We can try to reinterpret what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus is saying, if you get divorced for any reason other than sexual unfaithfulness in your marriage, you've committed adultery. Now let me add one thing. The Bible does speak in 1 Corinthians 7 about another reason. Not that we can initiate divorce, but that in a divorce we are free. And in 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about if an unbeliever leaves a believer, then that believer is now free to move on with their life. You see, Paul was talking to carnal people in a carnal city who had experienced the grace and the mercy of God. And and these families were coming together and they were were intertwined Christian to a non-Christian now and and the Christian their lives were changed their habits were changed their morality was changed and all of a sudden this non-Christian said you're not the woman I married or this non-Christian said you're not the man I married and that's possible partly true isn't it I mean their lives were changed and then they said I don't want to be married to you anymore the Bible says if it's the unbeliever that initiates that then you're free A believer, listen to me, a believer can never initiate divorce simply because my spouse is an unbeliever. You can't do that. But if the unbeliever leaves, the Bible says, you are free and you can move on with your life. But understand as a Christian, as a Christian, the Bible makes it clear, apart from this sexual immorality or apart from abandonment, if you are divorced and you remarry, and it's not for one of those two reasons, you have committed adultery. Now, some of you are saying, that's harsh. That's strict. There's no way that that is what this is saying. And I'm here to tell you, it is exactly what it's saying. And let me tell you why. Because the disciples understood it. In the next verse, verse 10, this is what it says. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case... It's better not to marry. Did you get that? I mean, if the only reason that I can leave my spouse is if they're sexually unfaithful to me, or I've committed adultery, then it's better off to remain single. I mean, that's what they said. They understood this is a big deal. It's a big deal. That's why the early church was changing the world by their marriages. 
Because the world was looking at this commitment that they made to one another through thick and thin and good and bad, the painful and the celebrations and and through it all. And they were going, I don't know what you've got. I don't know how you've got it, but I want that. And I'm here to tell you, the grace and the mercy of God lived out, fleshed out in our life causes that to happen. Now, perhaps you're thinking that this is awful harsh. I don't like this Jesus that we read about today. But you need to understand the Jesus that said if you divorce for any reason other than a sexual immorality, you commit adultery. He is the same Jesus that when the woman caught in the very act of adultery was brought to him, he looked at her and said, I don't condemn you. But that's not all he said, is it? He went on to say what? Go and sin no more. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to forgive you. But go and sin no more. You see, this is the same Jesus that came to this earth and died a cruel death on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven, so that you and I could experience wholeness again. Now, some of you are sitting back and you're feeling pretty condemned right now because you're thinking, okay, I got a divorce. It wasn't because of adultery. It wasn't because of sexual immorality. I got remarried. And according to what Rocky said, Jesus said, I'm living in adultery. And I feel condemned. What am I supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to do the same thing we all do. Because the truth of the matter is, listen to me, we're all condemned. The same Jesus that said that said in Matthew 5, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you have committed adultery already. How many of you have looked at someone and lusted, a man or a woman? Don't raise your hand. That would be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? But, but, but I'll, I'll be honest. I have. I have. I have before I was married. I've been guilty of that after I was married. And Jesus said that if I've done that, I've committed adultery already. And so what that's saying is, I'm as guilty as the person who divorces their spouse for unbiblical reasons, remarries, and is living in adultery. So what do we do? Well, I think there are several things we need to do. First of all, we need to get off our high horse. We need to quit justifying our sins and admit them to God. Did you hear me? Quit trying to justify yourself. Quit saying, you don't know my situation. Stop it. Take that up with God. Quit trying to justify yourself and acknowledge you need a redeemer, you need a savior. Admit your failures. Second, trust Jesus. Start trusting him. Trust his word. Trust his grace. Trust his mercy. And then third, begin to follow him. It doesn't matter where you have been, that's the past. The question is, where are you going? The past can be covered by the blood of Jesus. 
But you can't plead ignorance anymore. You've heard the truth. And so will you live your life seeking to be obedient to what God wants you to do? So let me give you three closing thoughts. The first one is this. If you're single, don't jump into marriage. Look before you leap. Some of you who aren't married want so desperately to be married that you are going to marry the wrong person. Look at me. Everybody that's single, look at me. Say this with me. Rocky spoke truth. Say it. I want everybody to say it. Rocky spoke truth. Let me tell you, if you're single and you think marriage is going to solve your problems, it's not. Marriage brings a host of its own problems into your life. So if you're single, don't jump into marriage. Don't, don't date a non-Christian. Don't date someone who isn't committed to, to growing in Christ-likeness as much or more than you. So if you're single, don't jump into marriage. Second, if you're married, stay married. Work on your marriage. You say you don't know how bad it is. No, I don't, but that's irrelevant. Jesus does. And Jesus said that apart from sexual unfaithfulness, you got to stick with it. And you're not ignorant anymore. You know the truth. And so stick with your marriage. Work at it. Make it better. Don't look for the back door. There ain't no back door. There's only a front door in marriage. Here's the third truth. If you're divorced and remarried for a non-biblical reason, ask God's forgiveness and begin to build a strong marriage. Don't make excuses. Ask God's forgiveness and begin to build a strong marriage. It doesn't matter whether this is your second or third or fourth or fifth. Look at me. Let it be your last. You hear me? Everybody that's married, everybody that's married, I want you to say something with me right now. This is my last marriage. Say it with me. This is my last marriage. Let's say it again. This is my last marriage. So I'm going to make it a good marriage. Let's say that. I'm going to make it a good marriage. Amen? And if we do, God will use our marriages as a shining light to a lost world that is looking for answers. And that's what we need. Would you bow your head with me? With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I'm here to tell you that the only hope in all of this is the grace of God. And so if you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, that's the first step for you. To give your heart and life to Jesus. To humble yourself, acknowledge that you're not God, that you've lived life your way. Trust Jesus' death on the cross to save you. And surrender your life to his will, his plan, his way from this point on. And so if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, and today you're willing to make that kind of commitment, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me right now to him. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly acknowledging I'm a sinner. 
forgive me. I failed you. I don't want to live in disobedience anymore. Jesus, I know you love me. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave defeating death and sin for me. I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Take control. From this point on, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to serve you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for hearing me.